You are listening to the Ibn Abi Umar podcast. This is your host, Umar Osman. Welcome back to the podcast. I know it's been quite a while since the last episode, I think over three months. I've been on a bit of a break because, you know, we're in a global pandemic and all, but um, also more seriously, I've been, I haven't just been neglecting the podcast. I've actually been working on some longer form content uh, that's just going to take quite a while to finish up. So in the meantime, I'm hoping to do a couple more episodes like this, but I have some larger stuff in the works, inshallah, that will be out soon. For today's episode, I wanted to go through what I'm calling a spiritual framework or self-development framework uh, from an Islamic perspective. And this was motivated mainly by the book In the Early Hours by Khoram Murad, which, if you haven't read it, is an incredible book with a terrible title. Um, this book has been on my shelf for ages, and every time I thought about reading it, I looked at the title and said, in the early hours, and I was like, okay, I got it. It's just talking about, you know, maybe the hajjud or the importance of reading Quran in the morning or taking advantage of the morning or the barakah in the morning time, you know, topics of that nature. And so I just kind of never really got into it. And then this quarter for the Productive Muslim Book Club that I do in the Productive Muslim Baraka Academy. This quarter we were focusing on the concept of habits. So we're reading three books, uh, Switch, Atomic Habits, and In the Early Hours. And our goal with that book club is to go through these self-development concepts such as habits and cover them from both the popular perspective or the way that people are writing about it and then also come back and look at it more critically from an Islamic perspective and see what the differences are and how they line up and how we best can implement it. And when I went through in the early hours, I was blown away by how developed the content was in terms of giving exactly that, a self-development framework from an Islamic perspective. And this is something that it it sounds very obvious, but it's it's not that easy to come across that type of material. And so this book laid it out pretty well. And I thought that in this episode, I would go through what that framework looks like in terms of an overarching mission, uh, your mindsets in approaching that mission, and then a more tangible plan of, you know, what that development process actually looks like. So with that, inshallah, we will dive in. When it comes to tackling a concept like self-development or self-improvement or, or personal, professional development, any, any of these kinds of things, it all has an origination point of what the end goal is, what's the outcome, what's the big picture, what exactly is it that we're driving toward and trying to accomplish. As Muslims, we're blessed in the sense that we've already been told what that goal is. Uh, Allah tells us in the Quran, وَمَا خَلَقْتُ الْجِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That we have not created mankind and jinn except to worship me. الَّذِي خَلَقَ الْمَوْتَ وَالْحَيَاةَ لِيَبْلُوَكُمْ أَيُّكُمْ أَحْسَنُ عَمَلًا That we have created, we have created life and death to test which of you is best in deeds. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ اشْتَرَى مِنَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ أَنفُسَهُمْ وَأَمْوَالَهُمْ بِأَنَّ لَهُمُ الْجَنَّةِ Indeed, Allah has purchased from the believers their lives and their possessions, promising them paradise in return. And that, that's it, that's the end goal, is earning the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so that we can go to Jannah. That's the end game. And that, when I say that that's a luxury and a blessing, what I mean is that this is a, it's a head start. Because a lot of people go through their entire lives trying to find that purpose. You know, people like Simon Sinek, a name that many people are familiar with. He's built an entire empire around start with why. What is your intention? Why are you doing something? What's your actual core motivator behind this business venture, or this side hustle, or whatever it is that you're doing, trying to help people find their why and discover their why? And people spend a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of resources trying to discover that. But for us, there's, there's an orientation of the sense that our entire lives have been purchased by Allah in exchange to see which of us or how we're going to utilize them, and try to earn his pleasure. So that gives us a head start. We know our purpose. We know our why. We know what it is exactly that we're doing. 
The challenge, of course, is that this world is full of all different types of trials and temptations. And in the self-development world or in the entrepreneurship world or any of these kind of, you know, however you want to label that, there's a lot of distraction that takes place. One thing that's interesting, Allah says in, the, in uh, Surah Al-Hadith, اِعْلَمُوا أَنَّمَا الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا لَعِبٌ وَلَهُ وَزِينَةٌ وَتَفَاخُرٌ بَيْنَكُمْ وَتَكَاثُرٌ فِي الْأَمْوَالِ وَالْأَوْلَادِ كَمَثِلِ غَيْثٍ أَعْجَبَ الْكُفَارَ نَبَاتُهُ ثُمَّ يَهِيجُ فَتَرَاهُ مُسْفَرًّا ثُمَّ يَكُونُ حُطَامًا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ عَذَابٌ شَدِيدٌ وَمَغْفِرَةٌ مِّنَ اللَّهِ وَرِضْوَانٌ وَمَا الْحَيَاةُ الدُّنْيَا إِلَّا مَتَاعُ الْغُرُورِ Bear in mind that the present life is just a game, a diversion, an attraction, a cause of boasting amongst yourselves of rivalry and wealth and children. It is like plants that sprung up after the rain. At first, their growth delights the sowers, but then you see them wither away, turn yellow, and become stubble. There is terrible punishment in the next life, as well as forgiveness and approval from God. The life of this world is only an illusory pleasure. Now, the reason for mentioning this particular ayah is understanding this concept that this life is a delusion. And that's, I know that that's kind of a cliche and kind of a tired thing to say for some people. But when you look at any type of thing that people are chasing, or you even read the books that are written about these things, whether it comes to business or management or leadership or marketing, and you know, any of these topics, one thing that you find is that there is no actual end game. And so people embark upon these paths and they may say that they have a very strong mission or a strong vision or a strong quote unquote why as to why they're doing something or why they're you know challenging themselves to improve or to run a certain business or whatever the case may be. But at the end, it's about competition because there's not anything else tangible to build in this life. One thing that always fascinated me, and I, I think it was Gary Vaynerchuk who said this, but he said that after a certain point, you know, you're doing all of these things to make money. But after a certain point, the money becomes a scoreboard. Because once a person has made a million or five million or in you know cases of people like Gary Vee in hundreds of millions of dollars, making another five or 10 or 20 million is not going to tangibly change their life in any form or fashion. There's nothing that they can do after closing one more deal or getting one more business win, it's not going to change their life any. They're just adding it to the scorecard. And so they see money as a means of competition. You look at sport, you look at professional athletes, it's kind of the same thing. You say, well, what's the difference in someone signing a contract for 27 million a year versus 25 million a year? Like, why would someone hold out over such a small, you know, over a, not a small amount of money, but relatively speaking, an inconsequential amount of money. And the reason is, is that it's not that they need that extra amount of money to make a difference in their life. It's that they're looking at other players on other teams who play similar positions and saying, if that person got that much, then I also deserve the same or I also deserve more. And so they're using it as a means of competing with one another. It's rivalry. And so... You know, if you take a business, if someone starts out the business with a noble purpose or a noble mission, it's very easy to get lost along the way as to what that mission and purpose was, and you end up going down that path of rivalry and competition. It's a natural consequence of growing and succeeding according to the metrics of this life. And so it is. It's it's fascinating. It's uh it it's something that makes you in awe, you're awestruck at, oh, this is amazing. It's like that, it's like the ISS, that plant that delights you at first. And then eventually it withers and it, you know, turns yellow and it becomes stubble. One thing that I'm always reminded of, and I covered this book in my YouTube channel, um, Clayton Christensen, How Will You Measure Your Life? And he's, you know, he talked to people who had accomplished a lot you know, they were CEOs of major corporations, they had, you know, they had accomplished anything you could possibly want from a personal potential point of view, or a business point of view. And then they would always say that toward the end of their life, they were filled with a lot of regrets, because those accomplishments came at the sacrifice, oftentimes of their own families. And so, 
they would say things like, yeah, you know, I've achieved this and the CEO of this and I've done all these things, but my kids don't want to talk to me or my kids only see me once a year or twice a year. And so they they realize then when it's a little bit too late that, yes, they they actualized their potential and they made all these gains. But now that they're looking at it, they're seeing that maybe the price wasn't appropriate. And that boils down to your big picture, your quote unquote why, not being a strong enough driver, you not having enough clarity, or sometimes just picking the wrong one, just not having the right intention. And so when that pursuit, when our end pursuit is worldly, then it's going to end with some type of a delusion. And we're going to turn into those same same people who never have enough. In the very next ayah, actually, Allah says, سَابِكُوا إِلَىٰ مَغْفِرَةً مِّن رَبِّكُمْ وَجَنَّةٍ عَرْضُهَا كَعْرُضِ السَّمَاءِ وَالْأَرْضِ وَإِدَّتْ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُلِي ذَلِكَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ يُؤْتِيهِ مَنْ يَشَاءُ وَاللَّهُ ذُو الْفَضْلِ الْعَظِيمِ So race for your Lord's forgiveness and a garden as wide as the heavens and earth prepared for those who believe in Allah and his messengers. That is Allah's bounty, which he bestows on whoever he pleases. His bounty is infinite. So rush, compete, you could say, for the forgiveness of your Lord. That should be the goal that a person has. So paradise is the ultimate focus. Everything else is subsidiary and must somehow be in service of that ultimate goal. Now, when when we make that our motivating factor, again, you know, looking at it from a, a paradigm or a framework of self-development, when earning Allah's pleasure becomes the ultimate goal for everything that we do, then that means that we are going to have to realign our daily actions and daily habits. That's and again, so that's one of those self-development concepts, you know, your core habits, habit change, behavior change, willpower, all these different things now fall into it. So to tackle that subject, we say, okay, if our vision is earning Jannah, then now I have to recalibrate and realign what those daily actions and habits look like. That can feel overwhelming. And and it feels overwhelming because there's always going to be pressure to, if something's not working, I have to somehow fix it quickly, fix it quickly, fix it quickly. But when we approach it from an Islamic perspective or an Islamic framework, there's actually a sense of uh, contentment and a sense of patience when you think about it in this way that changing my behavior, changing my daily actions and habits is a lifelong process. And we'll, we'll go through what that looks like in a little bit, but there is a sense of calmness that comes with, I don't have this extra pressure on myself. There's not a an expiration date that I have to fix these things by this year or this month, or I'm not going to be able to succeed in this business venture, or this other thing that I'm working on. When we reframe it as a lifelong process, that actually makes it a little bit easier to achieve. So we have, so we start with our core motivating big picture vision, which is earn a less pleasure. Now with that comes mindsets that we have to you know keep in mind, mindset, uh, along the way that help keep us on that course. And so Allah subhanahu says in The true believers are the ones that have faith in Allah and His Messenger and leave all doubt behind. The ones who have struggled with their possessions and their persons in God's way, they are the ones who are true. So these two, I want to say label them mindsets here, true belief and struggling in the way of Allah, mujahada, right? So mu'min and mujahada, you're you're, you're a believer and one that strives in the path of Allah. In other words, be firm in your faith in God and then do everything you possibly can to earn his pleasure. That's, That's the mindset. So I want to earn Allah's pleasure. What that looks like is I'm going to be firm in my faith in God and then do everything I possibly can to earn his pleasure. Those two things create, I mean, what we might label the ideal Muslim, right? When you when you think about someone that has those two characteristics, that's the type of person we want to be like. And 
there is a little bit of a trap here because then we start to think of like the most amazing Muslim person that we know and we're like, oh man, I don't know if I could do that, right? I, I feel like I might be falling short. I might not be able to live up to that example. And that's where this, we, we can't fall into that trap, but we also have this understanding Islam is a state of becoming, not a state of being. And so Islamically, a self-development process, a personal improvement process never ends. It's always evolving. The fact that the example and the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ is so perfect is, one, it's he's a human example because it shows us that it's attainable. But two, the perfection of his example is such that we spend an entire lifetime, lifetime trying to emulate that example and we're never going to perfect it. But that doesn't mean that we stop trying. We are making the best effort that we possibly can. If we approach it from a worldly framework, though, or secular framework, you almost by definition can't have that level of patience because any pursuit that you're involved in to better yourself, there's some type of a deadline. There's some type of a pressure of things that you have to accomplish before it's too late. And that framework makes it much more difficult to operate. And it also gives you a higher level of stress there's a t it makes it tougher to deal with things like failure but we have this sense of patience and understanding that it's a lifelong pursuit and the ultimate goal is not to be realized in this life and so we're able to more fully embrace the idea of gradual improvement that as long as we're improving little by little that that's not ever too slow that that's perfectly okay and that's something that Again, it's a luxury of faith and having that firm belief in Allah that I'm going to keep doing my part and it's going to pay off. Now, with these two mindsets, now to, to implement them, there are going to be some obstacles. There's going to be difficulties. There's going to be challenges in implementing that framework. And so what we need then is a tazkiya or purification of the soul that's oriented around specifically this idea of self-development. In, in particular, I would say for people who are working professionals or people who are entrepreneurs or people that have like a side hustle or anyone that's kind of interested in that topic and reading these types of things, we need a more Islamically sound approach when it comes to what that purification process looks like. And in the book, in the early hours, he lays out six steps. And so I'm going to follow those six steps. So I'll probably be adding a couple of other different comments to it. The first is the notion of individual responsibility. There's not anything new. There's something that we all understand that no one else can change you except you. So I have to take ownership of my own actions. When I mess up or I slip up, I can't blame others for my own shortcomings or my mistakes. Allah tells us in the Quran that when everything, this is in Surah Al-Ibrahim, when everything has been decided, Shaitan will say, God gave you a true promise. I too made promises, but they were false ones. I had no power over you except to call you and you responded to my call. So do not blame me, blame yourselves. I cannot help you, nor can you help me. I reject the way that you associated me with God before and a bitter torment awaits the wrongdoers. So we can never be deluded that we have the ability to blame someone else for our actions. We own our own development process. You know, one place to watch out for how we own that process is how we deal with setbacks. When we try something and it doesn't work, or we try things a couple of times and they don't work, we start looking for that magic bullet. Like, okay, if I just read this book, I just take that class, I just watch that video, I attend that seminar, that it's somehow going to fix it. And that's where individual responsibility, but also intention comes into play. And one thing that at least I've found in common when, you know, I'll I'll get frustrated, I'll go seek out something that's the quick fix. It's the intention is usually off. The intention is not looking for that proper improvement for the sake of Allah, but it's, you know, trying to get quick results for something or, uh, you know, it's you're doing something in comparison to someone else or you some other type of intention that's not completely pure. And in those cases, we have no one to blame but ourselves. But on the other side, the other side of it in dealing with setbacks and failure is also understanding that 
Allah SWT has blessed each of us with the potential to do more and also to do better. And that's something that's a very profound point to keep in mind that Allah would not demand of me to do more or to do better. And the Prophet would not be always giving us all this encouragement to do more and to do better unless it was within our capacity. So anytime we feel stuck, anytime we feel that I'm just not making headway, it might feel like it might be easy to fall into this trap of just saying, okay, well, I'm just incompetent. I'm just unable to do this. I'm just, you know, I'm just bad at this. But Allah has given everyone that potential to do more and to do better. And that firm belief is something that should motivate us and drive us forward and also give us the patience to stick with something and not give in to that failure or to give up. Now, to reach reach that potential and even to fulfill that individual responsibility does require help along the way. And that's where the company that you keep becomes extremely important. You know, we're familiar with that hadith where the Prophet ﷺ said that good company and bad company, the examples of those is like the blacksmith and the musk seller. So the blacksmith, when you visit, you know, it's it's hot, there's dirt, it doesn't smell nice, you, you get dirty. Just being in that company is unpleasant. Whereas the musk seller, you go visit, it smells nice, you might try some on, now you smell better, it's a pleasant experience, so you feel better. And so... Find a way to stay in the company of those who are also oriented toward that same goal of striving to please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. But more than that, and this is what I would say is the challenge, is also surround yourself with people that will encourage you on that path. And see, this is really, really hard because it's very easy to find people that will beat you up for what you're doing or people that will hate on you for what you're doing. And that, and I'm not even talking about people online. Sometimes that's within your own circle of friends. Unfortunately, sometimes for people, it's within their own families that they're holding them back. Find ways to surround yourself with others who are an encouraging force. And one thing that we sometimes culturally have to get over is this idea that I can't praise or celebrate or congratulate anyone else on something good that they did. And we always remember the hadith that, oh, you know, don't rush to praise people. It's like throwing dust in their eyes. You're going to destroy them and it's going to fill their head and so on. And I would say that most people get a heavy dose of things to bring them back down to earth on a regular basis. But what we need more of now is people who actually encourage and uplift one another. So find people and also be that for other people as well, that when someone accomplishes something, congratulate them, reinforce that, be it, you know, be the cheerleader for your friends when, you know, when they do something, when they accomplish something, because that's something that everyone needs to add that motivation to keep on going. Now, beyond, beyond that actual company, the traditional sense of friendship, one thing that the author points out in, in the early hours is your company is not just your physical companions, but it's also the companions that you keep in solitude. And that is your mental and psychological company, your ideas, your ambitions, the books you read, the podcasts you listen to, the videos that you watch, the stuff that you binge watch on Netflix. All of those things are your companions in solitude and they affect your psyche. They affect the way that you view things. They affect the way that you interpret events around you. So guard that company also very strictly. The, the content that you consume, the content that you read, that you listen to, that you watch. Make sure, and this is, by the way, this is not some like, oh, stop watching entertainment or things like that. But this is just be very aware of the things that you watch and the effect that they have on you and the, the way that they impact you. The second part of this self-development framework is sincere effort. So one is individual responsibility. Two is the idea of sincere effort. The good thing about sincere effort is that it's literally never too late. It is never too late to change your intention in your course to start earning a less pleasure. On the flip side, it is too late for a lot of things. It might be too late to go to law school. It might be too late to go to medical school. It might be too late to go back to grad school. You know, it might be too late to do a lot of things that we might want to learn or do, but changing your entire life mission to earning the pleasure of Allah 
is never too late for that. And so don't ever fall into the trap of what you've done before. There's always a way forward. Now, this idea of sincere effort is I'm going to do the best that I possibly can for the sake of Allah. And that's it. And this is an extremely simple but important concept to grasp because with any type of self-development effort, and I, and I mentioned this earlier in the episode, but it's it's frustration that I keep trying all these different things and they're not working. When that happens, it becomes very easy to give up. And it becomes very easy to say, okay, forget it. This is not what I'm going to do. But Islam teaches us that intention and effort matter more than results. Intention and effort matter more than results. How you're getting there sometimes matters a lot more than what you actually got. And so if I have the right intention and I have the right effort, even if I'm not getting the results, I'm actually still accomplishing my ultimate purpose, which is to earn Allah's pleasure. And so even though I'm not seeing the worldly result manifest, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm doing something wrong. I'm still on track. I might just not be getting the same results as everybody else. However, if now don't take this to mean, by the way, that we ignore the results completely and just be naively optimistic. No, that's that's not the case either. But it means that, okay, I try something. I didn't get the result maintaining sincere intention and sincere effort, I can try something different and I can try something else and keep trying to get the results that I get. And ultimately, I might not get those results. But in that process, I will make, you know, I'll get in that process, I will make some progress, right? Allah will put some baraka in the effort that I do and I'll get something. It might not be exactly what I want. When people try different things and they don't get the result that they want, they give up and then they also lose a sense, they lose some sense of self-esteem and the entire self-help, modern self-help industry is designed to come in and exploit exactly that because all of it is predicated around here's what I did or here's what someone did and if you follow the same plan, you can replicate it. And then people try to replicate it and they don't get the same results. And so they get frustrated and then they try something else and they get frustrated and it doesn't work again. And they use that frustration to continually keep selling you more and more solutions that aren't going to solve the problem. You know, I, and I, I hate mentioning this example, but it's worth mentioning because it affected you know a lot of people. But there were these Muslim entrepreneurship groups that were happening and they were teaching people how to do an online business. And these courses cost literally thousands of dollars, which is no small amount of money. Uh, you know, people were putting in, taking money out of their savings or out of their retirement and paying for these courses, thinking that it was going to set them up financially because these other, you know, well-reputed Muslim brothers and sisters were doing the same thing. So they spent thousands and thousands of dollars on these courses to go and learn how to set up their online business. Now, fast forward a couple of months and it didn't work. It didn't work out the way that it was promised. They weren't able to quit their job and work four hours a week and do and become financially independent and all of those things. And the people running the course, what did they do after a few months? They send out an email blast to their list saying, oh, hey, you know, we noticed that like nine out of 10 of you weren't able to get a successful business going. And so we're going to now sell you this new coaching package that's going to help you and we're going to work with you and to get your business launched. It's like, wait, pause a second. You charge people thousands and thousands of dollars for a course that had a 90% failure rate. And instead of taking responsibility for that and maybe doing the right thing and refunding their money, you're using that failure rate to further exploit them to get even more money. And that's how this entire industry is set up. And if a person doesn't have that larger compass of what they're working for, who they're trying to please and what they're trying to accomplish and and having that sense of mind of understanding that good intention and sense and effort matter more than results, you will fall into that same trap because there's it's just the natural consequence. And so guarding those mindsets is extremely important that I have the right intention and I'm putting in the best effort that I can. And I'm going to keep striving 
even if I'm not seeing the right results, even if I'm not getting the results that I want, I'll keep trying different things. I'll keep adjusting. I'll keep striving, ultimately knowing I may not see results until much, much later. Now, from a, a practical perspective, one thing that we can do is for people, you know, and, and again, I always like to bring this back into context for people who are busy professionals or entrepreneurs or things like that. What is a way of having at least some tangible action item, some step that I can take? And one thing that is emphasized in the book and, you know, something in general that we should be doing regardless is the idea of dhikr throughout the day. Keeping not just your tongue wet with the remembrance of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but also just being cognizant of Allah and everything that you do and the way that you conduct yourself in your business with your co-workers, the way that you're approaching things, the way that you interact, the way that you act at work. All of those things have elements of dhikr. And we'll talk about those in a little bit more detail later, but dhikr is something that gives life to the heart. It brings barakah to a person's life. And so though that action, small, consistent, constant action, is something that helps build those muscles of intention and sincere effort. So we had one, individual ownership, two, sincere effort. The third part of this framework is sustaining willpower. Sustaining willpower. Achieving, we know achieving any type of a goal requires sustained determination or a sense of perseverance. And we also know, and from our own experience, and Allah tells us in the Quran, that we have created mankind with a type of weakness. Um, so we know that we have a hurdle to overcome when it comes to this idea of willpower. What we're taught in the Quran is that we should have irada, which is sometimes translated as desire, but it means more to have a like a firm resolve, having strength and consistency, a firm resolve for, for wanting something. It's the opposite of doubt or hesitation or, or laziness. A firm resolve to seek the pleasure of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He says in, in a, I think this is Surah Al-Isra, I don't have it in my notes actually. وَمَنْ أَرَادَ الْآخِرَةَ وَسَعَى لَهَا سَعْيَهَا وَهُوَ مُؤْمِنٌ فَأُولَٰئِكَ كَانَ سَعْيُهُمْ مَشْكُورًا Whoever desires the hereafter and exerts the effort due to it while he is a believer, it is those whose effort is ever appreciated by Allah. Those who desire the hereafter and exert the effort due to it while being a believer. That is a summation of all the points that we've we've talked about so far. So this irada, this willpower, is something that's needed in order to stay consistent on that path. Now, the funny thing about willpower is that this is, again, a very common concept that's written about quite a bit in personal development books. And it always comes via the way of hacks. So they'll talk about things like, oh, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs, they have the same wardrobe. They all, you know, they wear the same thing every day because they want to minimize the number of decisions that they make so that they can preserve their willpower and cognitive energy for, you know, more important decisions or things where they need more willpower and things like that. And that we also need to have habits so that we do the good things on autopilot. And so, yes, there, you know, those things all have an element of truth, but ultimately your willpower will only come when that intention is strong enough to drive you. Because otherwise, look, everyone has things that they know that they should be doing better that they're not. There's a million things we all should be doing that we're not, right? And it's not, you know, yes, willpower is to an extent, but to a larger part of it is we don't have that same firm resolve. And so having that irada of pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is something that aids in that self-development process, makes that self-development process easier. Now, how do you build that willpower muscle if you're struggling with it? Like, what, what can we do to tangibly make our willpower stronger? And then that's where we get the answer from the sunnah, the advice of the Prophet wasallam to fast, right? Voluntary fasting is something that builds that, that muscle of willpower and gives us the ability to overcome desires, do things that we may not normally be inclined to do and, and push through and have the resiliency to push through. So one, individual ownership, two, sincere effort, three, willpower, four, the fourth step, fourth part of this framework, reliance or trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
when we think about people that we know in our lives who have strong iman, right? We said that person has really strong faith. We often describe them in ways like they're always calm. They have a quiet confidence. They're even keeled. They never get too high. They never get too low. You know, people who have strong faith tend to be kind of calm and even keeled. And that confidence is something that comes from having trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that things will work out. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, فَأَمَّا مَنْ أَعْطَى وَاتَّقَى وَصَدَّكَ بِالْحُسْنَى فَسَنْيَسِرُهُ لِلْيُسْرَى There is the one who gives, who is mindful of God, who testifies to goodness. We shall smooth his way towards ease. So the one that has sincere belief and sincere effort, Allah makes things easy for that person. And so even though I might be struggling with willpower, I know the fact that if I correct my intention and I have the right amount of effort, the help of Allah will come and give me the strength that I need to overcome personal hurdles that I, that I may have. And this is something that a secular framework has no alternative or substitute for. There is no, you know, I mean, they can talk about things like karma or the universe rewarding you or, or things of that sort. But, you know, that's very vague and it's a bit of a cop out. There is no substitute for understanding that the help of Allah comes when I do things the right way. And so I know that I'm able to depend on him. I know that he is there to help and to aid. I know that Allah does not burden a soul more than it can bear. So when I do encounter a difficulty, when I do encounter something very difficult, I know that I have the strength given by Allah to overcome it. And so then when I, when I am stuck in that cycle of trying things and not succeeding, and I'm not getting the results that I want, I don't turn around and blame it on myself. I don't say, well, I'm just incompetent. I suck. I'm terrible. Because that, if I don't have the element of Allah in that picture, and I'm not getting the results that I want, my self-esteem is going to suffer because I have no one to blame but myself. But if I can correct my intention, my effort, and rely on Allah, then I know Allah will never treat me unfairly. Allah will always treat me with mercy. So even when I fail, so to speak, it doesn't get me too low. And I'm able to keep going on. So that hope is central to my success. That optimism in Allah is essential. And I sincerely hope and believe that seeking Allah's pleasure gives me that fulfillment. So I never allow myself to believe that I can't fulfill my obligations. And I also never despair in the mercy of Allah. One thing that we find interesting is that when you read any, literally any type of business biography or case study, you find an obsession with the self-made man, the rags to riches story, the American dream, how, you know, however you want to call it. But there's this idea that I started with nothing and I put in the work and I created my own destiny, and now look at me, right? Now I've, I've, made, I've had all this success, and this is because of my hard work, because of my sacrifice, because of all of these things. And this is kind of a weirdly, uniquely secular obsession with the self-made man and, and deserving things because of the work that we put in. You know, it's, it's funny when you, when you hear uh, like a sports team wins a championship or something. And then players afterward, they say, yeah, this was, you know, this is from all the hours that I put in in the gym. And, you know, we deserve this championship because of our hard work. And the thing is, is like, look, no one's discounting the hard work. No one's discounting the sacrifices that you made. Right. You know, that that's something that you should do, should be commended. But, you know, like take a basketball player and they say, oh, this is all the work that I put in and this and that. And it's like, OK, yes, you put in all that work, but. Allah is the one that made you six foot nine and gave you amazing hand-eye coordination and gave you the ability to jump 45 inches into the air. When people have this narrative of like, I did, I did all of this, it is very problematic to say the least because 
it completely neglects and is a sense of ungratefulness to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the blessings that he's given. And so even whatever I accomplished, let's say in my professional life, there's no way that any of that happens without the mind that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has blessed me with. My ability to see, my ability to hear, my ability to speak. All of these things are blessings. And the one blessing that a lot of us, we tend to overlook is simply... You know, and I, I think Seth Godin uses this phrase, but and it is very apt. He says a lot of us, without realizing it, we won the parent lottery. It, meaning that before you were even born, you won the lottery simply by virtue of where you were born. If you were born into a home with two loving parents, or you were born into a society that gave you educational opportunities. Yes, you have to take advantage of them, but Allah SWT has still blessed you with a lot of the circumstances around you. He put people in your life that helped you to accomplish all of these things. And so this idea of the self-made man is actually a very arrogant proclamation of almost independence from Allah. And that that arrogance is what drives the ego. And that's the, that's the discourse that we see now. And in that I have overcome all these things. I've sacrificed. I've worked hard. Why can't everyone else just work hard like me? That arrogance breeds a severe lack of compassion and a contentment for other people. And that, and we see that all around us now in the way that people speak about one another. But all of that is rooted in that arrogance when we fail to recognize what it is that we have received by way of blessing from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now, that doesn't mean that we go to the opposite route. And do the whole being meek or the false modesty or the fake humility thing of like, oh, no, no, this is terrible. This is horrible, blah, blah, blah. No, no, don't do all that. You can still be confident in your abilities, confident in your talent, confident in what Allah has blessed you with while acknowledging, alhamdulillah, this is something that Allah has blessed me with and being fully confident in your capabilities. And so that's the middle path that the believer follows. So we got one, individual responsibility, two, sincere effort, three, willpower, four, reliance in Allah, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And then the fifth part of the framework is best use of time. And so any type of self-development needs an investment of time. Like you have to put the time in to get better. That, that's kind of a non-negotiable. So dedicate time to it. The, the real trick, and you know, there's not much to this, but the real trick is making sure that you're intentional with that usage of time, that you have some type of a plan for how you're getting better. You have a plan for the things that you are doing on a day-to-day -day basis, whether that's allocating out your daily recitation of Quran, uh, du'as, athkar, things like that whether it's uh, the habit that I highly encourage, which is reading 25 pages a day of anything, whether it's fiction, nonfiction, whatever, but just being in a habit of reading, uh, whether it's podcasts that you're following, cl online classes that you're taking, but just have some investment of time blocked out on a regular basis. The, the trap, the thing that you want to avoid is doing what, and in, in, in the book he quotes Imam Ghazali as saying, don't be like cattle who just do whatever occurs to them. Don't be like an animal that just, whatever you feel like you do. And that's essentially what social media is, that you're scrolling through Twitter and you see this cool thing, so you follow the link, you read that article, someone else shares a video, so you go watch that video. That feels productive, but it's not productive. Because you're just doing whatever pops up in your feed and you're reacting to things that are there as opposed to being intentional and proactive. And that's the approach that's needed to make the best use of time. Now that doesn't have to be in you know a huge amount of, of stuff or like two hours a day or something like that. We know Allah loves that which is small and consistent, done regularly, done with ihsan. So even if it's not a large block of time, even if it's a little bit of time, being consistent with it daily helps push you along that improvement process. Uh, one, one scholar that's quoted in the book advises children, acquire knowledge before you become leaders so that leadership does not keep you preoccupied from acquiring knowledge. And 
there's a really good point here, which is as you progress, as you develop further, more and more opportunities will open up and you will find yourself presented with more options or things that you can do. So you want to make sure that your foundation is strong and that you're prepared to step into those opportunities as opposed to jumping into something that you're not ready for because then you'll just be playing catch up the whole time once you get into that type of a role. So make the most use of your time, be prepared for those opportunities that are going to come. So one, individual responsibility, two, sincere effort, three, willpower, four, reliance in Allah, five, the best use of time. And then the last one, the sixth point in this framework is that this duskia, this self, this purification of the soul in the process of self-development is that it is an all encompassing or all embracing process. There is no compartmentalization that happens. And, and this is the part that's really tough because we tend to compartmentalize. We act one way at home. We act one way at the masjid. We act one way at work. And, you know, and I've heard people say things like, you know, I can be a Muslim at home, but when I come to work, I have to turn that off. And it's a statement that's made in passing. But it's something that we need to unpack a little bit, because what does that actually mean? When I say that I have to turn off my being Muslim when I'm at work, am I saying that I can't act with Muslim characteristics? And and that's often what people are hinting at, that in order for me to succeed at work, I have to play the game. And so I may have to do things that are political to help my career. And those things might not be what we would consider the best of Muslim character. And the answer to that is, well, what is your ultimate driving factor, right? It goes back to that big picture. What's our ultimate vision? Is the vision that I have to climb as high as I possibly can on the corporate ladder? Well, if that's the case, then yes, if I'm in an environment that rewards political behavior or stepping on other people in order to move up, then yeah, if my goal is to climb that ladder, then I may have to do that. But if my goal is earning the pleasure of Allah, then the way that I act at work ends up being something that is in service of that goal. And so then the way that I am honest, the way that I embrace my responsibility at work, the way that I fulfill the needs of coworkers, right? When someone comes to me and says, oh, can you help me with this? I don't say, well, that's not my job. I say, okay, my faith, if I want to earn Allah's pleasure, sincere intention, sincere effort means that even if that's not my job, someone's coming to me for help, let me see if I can find a way to help. It means that I'm going to abstain from gossip. I'm going to abstain from backbiting, talking bad about my coworkers behind their back. I'm going to abstain from those things because that's not part of my mindsets of good intention and good effort. And so that allows me that enables me empowers me to live a more holistic life such that now when i'm at work i'm in service of that mission and you know the weird thing is that when we compartmentalize when we have to separate out that i have to act a different way completely at work i have to have a different set of characteristics or etiquettes or even ethics in the place that i'm at eight hours a day that creates a big sense of disharmony and unhappiness in our lives because then we're never, you know, feeling to be ourselves. There's this idea now in, you know, in the corporate world of bring your whole self to work, like bring your true authentic self. And if part of that is my faith and I need to bring that faith to work, not in the sense of proselytizing and like openly make, you know, telling people about this and that, but it's conduct yourself with that character and those characteristics and with that level of responsibility and ihsan in what you do. The amazing thing when we look at the life of the Prophet وسلم, is that he lived a balanced life. You know, we know the example when someone came and said, you know, I'm going to pray all night or I'm going to fast every day. I'm never going to get married. He said, no, that's not my sunnah. My sunnah is I'm, I get married. I pray part of the night. I sleep part of the night. I fast on some days. I don't fast on other days. He lived a very balanced life life. He gave time to his obligations to the community. He gave time to his obligations to his family. He had private time that he had for his Lord, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He had a very balanced life. And yet, every single moment of his life 
was still fulfilling the vi- the mission that he had, which was make every single moment pleasing to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, making every moment an example for us to follow so that we can try to emulate his sunnah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And so we may fall short in emulating his sunnah, but we can still live up to that ideal or that idea of every moment of my life can still be fulfilling that ultimate purpose of earning Allah's pleasure. So all of this put together gives us a self-development framework that we can apply. That in our quest to earn Allah's pleasure, we take charge of our responsibilities. We take ownership of our responsibilities. We deliver the willpower needed to perform and make a genuine effort to fulfill all of our obligations to the best that we can to fulfill as much of our potential as possible. We make the best use of our time and we have this balanced approach to life. And again, to emphasize, we do it while realizing the sincere intention and effort is more important than the results. That my belief and my striving in the eyes of Allah will be enough, inshallah, to carry me across to where it is that I need to go in order to attain that true success. So that's the thoughts that I had on this topic. Uh, I'm right at about the 51, 52 minute mark on the recording. I'm only mentioning that because right now, literally, I have a poll going on as I'm recording this on Instagram and Twitter asking if people prefer episodes of this length to be split up into multiple episodes or one on instagram it's 70 30 uh in favor of splitting it up but on twitter i think it was actually the opposite um it is 63 to 37 percentage wise so opposites on each platform in any case if you feel very strongly one way or the other about this length of episode let me know i do have a series coming soon that i'm working on that's the big project that's been keeping me away from the podcast that'll be split up into shorter episodes anyhow regardless any feedback that you have any comments any questions any reflections please share them i love hearing your feedback i love hearing your comments you can message me on twitter instagram at ibn abi omar that's probably the quickest way uh to get a response um other than that make sure you're subscribed to my email list all that good stuff and hopefully see you in the next episode very soon thank you for listening to this episode if you'd like to support the podcast please subscribe in apple Podcasts or google play or whatever podcast player you use and please rate and review the podcast As always, if you share it with a friend that's much appreciated, you can check the show notes for all the details and links. See you in the next episode.